Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us to continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Good morning. Last week, I asked if you would to please be patient with me as we unwrapped a gift from God's Word, a scripture and some stories and some principles that if you'll just receive this gift, could give you your next breakthrough, could cause you to be able to live life on a whole other level, could, could take care of whatever it is that's coming against you right now. And we unwrapped it. We started. We're going to continue today because here was, here's what the topic was. Don't let the pain in this life distract you from living the blessed life that God wants you to live because of two things. Number one, the blessed life was his idea. And number two, he told you there'd be trouble while you're trying to live it. So don't let the pain, don't let the hurt, don't let the disappointment, don't let the things, the satanic attacks that come against you in this life ever distract you from the life that God wants you to live. And then we threw this up on the side screen, take a look at it, and I ask you to really think about it. God can do more for you in a minute than you can do in a lifetime. I heard somebody else put it this way. God's presence can do more for you in a minute than you can do with 20 years of your personal striving. And then I ask you to please contemplate that and come to a conclusion whether you truly believe it or not, okay? So since you've had a week to think about it, do you really believe that your heavenly Father in 60 seconds can do more for you in your life than what you could do in 20, 30, 40, or 50 years. If you believe that, put your hands together. Okay. okay. So we started out with two contrasting stories of two different men that had a terminal illness called leprosy. One came to Jesus and said, um, you could heal me if you want to. And Jesus said, I, I do want to be healed. And the man was immediately healed. The second one was a blessed man, and it was going to take a little bit more for a blessed man to get his healing. How many of you consider yourself blessed people? Would you raise your hands? Okay, I'm in that category. It might take a little bit more for you to get the next miracle that you so desperately need. Synopsis of the story. The man is by the name of Naaman. He's a soldier. He has a level of success that takes him to the rank of captain of the army. He's very much liked by the king of Aram, and the king of Aram wants to make sure that he is taken care of. Well, publicly, there was great success because the Bible says God gave him victory for the king of Aram. So he has a public success streak, but he has a private struggle. And nobody knows the struggle that goes on. The men might question the fact that on a hot summer day, you know, while they're taking off their coats and they're rolling up their sleeves, Naaman doesn't because he's concealing something that he knows would ostracize him. He goes home, he takes off his coat, he takes off his jacket, he takes off his clothes. 
And the real truth is revealed of the struggle, the terminal illness the name is carrying. Oh, probably people smell the smell, wonder what that was. But they didn't know the real private struggle that went on when all the doors were closed. Well, somebody did. His wife knew it. And there was a little maid. The maid was taken in a raid toward the area or near the area of Israel. She was a girl from Israel. And somebody had captured her, thought that Naaman's wife could use a servant girl. So they took this girl from Israel to Naaman's home. Many Bible teachers believe that the plague of leprosy that hit Naaman was caused because he kidnapped that girl from Israel. Nevertheless, she's there in the home, and she also knows that Naaman has a terminal illness. Well, she's penniless, right? She's powerless, and she's without her own people. But she knows that the captain's dying, and she's got the cure. So she's all like, I'm the captain now, right? Okay, that's a line from a movie. It's not in the Bible. That was a test. She didn't really say that. What she did was she said to the wife, she said, if Naaman was in Israel, there's a prophet that would heal him. The wife tells Naaman. Naaman tells the king of Aram. The king of Aram says, I'll write you a letter of introduction. Sends it to the king with him. Naaman takes horses, chariot, an entourage, and what would be equivalent today of $3 million in silver, gold, and clothing. He approaches the king of Israel. He, the king of Israel sees him, reads the letters. Hey, I'm not God. I can't heal you. He tears his clothes. He's the king of Aram. He's just trying to pick a fight with me. Elijah hears about it, the king of Israel tore his clothes, all in dismay. He says, send the man to me. So Naaman, with all of his entourage, all the $3 million, goes to Elijah's house, and Elijah sends out a servant and says, yeah, yeah, you'll need to go lower yourself. You'll need to go and lower yourself. $3 million, sounds like to me, Naaman was still trying to fix his problems with human effort. And God says, not this time. Go lower yourself. Naaman gets mad because he was filled with pride. God was always trying to deal with his pride. And he says, I'm not going to do it. This is below me. Now, he was disappointed. And I understand that. He thought that surely this guy would just come out. And that's what the Bible says. I thought that. See, I thought there was an idea that I had, and I thought my idea was going to work. And God said, not, not this time, not this time. Now, here's the question. Would he shake off the disappointment and go get his miracle? Or would he walk away a proud man and leave it behind? I, I guess a, the question in this, this part of the message would be this. Have you ever been disappointed? Anybody ever let you down? Have you ever been treated unfairly? How about a job? How about an employer? How about a family member? How about a mate? How about a child? How about a grown child? How about an employee? Anybody ever disappoint you in this life? Well, I thought they were going to make me happy, and boy, they didn't. They really disappointed me. You know where the problem lies? The fact that you thought they couldn't disappoint you. There's not a person on this planet that can't disappoint you because we disappoint ourselves. So we're disappointing ourselves. Why do you think we can't disappoint someone else? That is a position that is reserved only for your heavenly Father who will never disappoint you in this life if you just tuck into him.
But everyone else will disappoint you. So if you set them up on a pedestal where they can't, (laughs) you just set yourself up for a major disappointment. Now, I want to agree with Naaman very respectfully that Elijah did, well, what he did was a jerk thing to do. It was his idea. Send Naaman to me, and me is not even going to get out of my chair. I mean, that's like me saying, hey, come over to our house for dinner, and I have somebody take you a chicken leg to the door and say, oh, here you go. By the way, clean up the driveway on your way out. Is that not a jerk thing to do? Well, what did Naaman do? Naaman said, hey, yeah, I'm not coming out. I don't even care to look at your $3 million. And by the way, here's something else you need to do. Naaman came for healing and thought it would be a certain way where he had to do nothing. And Elijah gave him a job to do. So disappointment, I get it. Hurt, I understand. Confused, I understand that too. And you might be thinking, well, I didn't deserve being treated like that. Well, maybe not. And this is what happened, and we all love to tell our stories. This is what happened, and this is how come I this, and this is why I don't that. And man, and don't you think, don't you think that, that, that I deserve, you know, not to be treated like that? Oh, well, you know, I absolutely do. But I think a more important question might be, How bad do you want your healing? How bad do you want deliverance? How bad do you want your next level of, of miracles? You see, the only sting that was standing in the way of this blessed man and his next miracle was his pride. And the question that was asked to him that I'm going to ask the blessed people of this church, will you lower yourself? Just a little bit. I know you were hurt. I know you were disappointed. I know you were treated unfairly. I get that. But you're a blessed man. You're a blessed woman. Will you lower yourself? Or will you continue to argue your case? You see, whenever the blessed really humble themselves before their heavenly father, it might be in a worship service. It might be through an act of service. It might be through with all your success on a public level serving in a two-year-old class where nobody can see you. Whatever it is God puts on your heart to do and you lower yourself, you're setting yourself up for the next special blessings of God in your life. Luke tells us in Luke 14, verse 11, for those who exalt themselves will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. You lower, he lifts you lower, he lifts. Watch the next verse, First Peter. And all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes, he becomes the opposition of those of his children who sets themselves up in a prideful manner. And he gives stuff that you don't deserve to those who will just be humble. Just humble. And then in Psalms 149, verse 4, for the Lord delights in his people and he crowns the humble with victory. Every person in this room is under some kind of demonic attack. And I don't like to use the word under, so let's put it this way. Every person in this room is experiencing satanic attack in your life. And most of you have experienced it most of your life. There's been disappointment. 
and people and relationships and spouses and employers and employees and family members to a point where you have been totally broken. It's caused isolation in your life because you don't want to be around them. It has caused loneliness to set in. There has been hurting. There has been emptiness. There's been anxiety. There's been fear. And there's been pain. And many of you have felt pressure and uncertainty on a level where nobody told you you would experience when you were growing up. And you might be thinking, I need to escape this. If I could just escape the pressure, if I could just escape this anxiety, if I could just escape pain, that's what it is. Let's just call it what it is. It just feels like pain. And if I could just get out from underneath it in some way, the blessed life, please. Man, I just want the pain to go away. The word escapism, take a look on the side screen if you would. Escapism in its most basic form is intentional detachment and distraction from the real world. It allows momentary reprieve from your circumstances. Now, according to psychology today, there are four types of escapism behavior from today's pressure, uh, and most of these will cost you the most. Now, there's all kinds of escapes. Playing a game of golf is an escape, unless you're playing with me and I beat you very badly, and then that really wasn't, didn't feel good to you. But, and, but playing golf can be an escape. Going on a, you know, a, a budgeted shopping trip can be an escape. Uh, going up into the mountains can be an escape. Taking a Jeep to Moab can be an escape. All these things are, are escapes. Going on a walk in the evening and watching a sunset, holding the hand of somebody you love. All these are escapes from the normal reality of your day. But the four escapes that will cost you the most, reckless spending, here we go, abuse of alcohol, abuse of drugs, reckless sexual behavior. Ted Haggard, the pastor of one of the largest churches in Colorado, you remember the two that got him? Reckless sexual behavior and the abuse of drugs. Remember those things? So they'll always cost you more. Oh, yeah, there is five. The fifth one is overeating, but I decided I didn't want to talk about that one today. I'll talk about that when I lose 30 pounds. But that, there's five. And now the blessed and abundant life and is in danger because a person is just trying to survive. Well, it's the enemy's fault. Yeah, the enemy's really not after your job. And the enemy's really not after your car. And the enemy is really not after your house. The enemy's after your faith. That this is hopeless. That it's not going to get any better. This thing's terminal. So I go back to the question, how bad do you want it? Pastor, I do, I do anything to get out from underneath this pain. And now I got these distractions, escapism kind of behaviors. It's not working. I would do anything for my family to live a blessed life. I would, do, I would do anything for my family to be blessed on a whole nother level. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to do a small thing? I'd do anything. Okay, okay. Would you be willing, though, to do just, just a small thing? You have an enemy and he hates you. The battle you feel is, is real. It's coming against your home, your life, your mentality. It's coming against your mind. The greatest battle you'll face is the one happening inside your own head. 
and it is a real battle. And some of you with physical issues, some of you with work issues, some of you with relationship issues, some of you with marriage issues, some of you with kid issues, some of you with grown kids making bad decision issues, all of these things. Some of you hurt by a parent. I get it. I understand all those things. But you better fight. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe just a little. Now, I want to give you a a warning up in here that there's, this place is about to get real. I'm not going to mess around. We're about to have a battle in this place. I'm going to illustrate it for you. And it's going to go something like this. And oh, oh, I wish I had a little, I wish I had a little rocking music theme to go with it. Good, good. Oh, yeah. Man, I hope my socks don't have holes in them. That would be embarrassing for you people. a good night's sleep. We're still getting awake a little bit. A couple things I want to talk to you about. I got a text the other day, Father. A couple new career change in their life. I just want me to pray for him. I can see a little bit of, yeah, it sounds like a little bit of fear going on with him. So, Father, bless him right now in Jesus' name. Give him a great day. May they wake up and experience incredible blessings from you and you kicking open some doors for them. They didn't need that. Hold them close to each other that, you know, this season of their life wouldn't, wouldn't pull at them too hard. And bless them, Father. Bless them. And I got an email. It was kind of cool, Father. Um, this person, and I appreciate it. They were just saying some nice things about the church, and they're bragging on Pastor Dan and Amelie, and, you know, they're just talking about how proud they were of them and what's going on in our church. And they said a couple nice things about me. Well, all right, first of all, me and you know that. Uh, None of those things are true about me without you. I mean, you know that I fall flat on my face without you. You're the only one keeping me going. You're the only one giving me wisdom. You're the only one giving me protection. 
and I just want to tell you I love you, and I acknowledge that. So I, uh, I always want to stay humble with you, Father. I, I never want you as my opposition because you need to teach me a lesson. I, I want to learn that lesson by what you say, not by what I, what I have to experience. Uh, out of character now, a woman came to me in the lobby and she told me a couple of months ago, she said, uh, and it's, I've heard this two or three times, she said, uh, my quiet time, my, my coffee with God time, it just feels like another thing I got to do. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, I, it just feels like another job. And I said, well, explain to me what you're doing. And she started telling me about her, her quiet time and I was like, <laughs> you know, I didn't really do that. Well, I did it a little, but um, I thought, how boring. Seriously, I don't need another thing to do. I get in this chair behind a closed door, according to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, and I got, talk to God secretly. And I tell him things, and I talk to him about things very explicitly that I would never talk to any of you about. Not even my close buddies. There's something I might talk about that I struggle with sometimes is worry. My mom's the all-time master worrier of the universe. I get around her a little bit, and all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm, she, start, she starts worrying about stuff, and I start, I start listening to it, and all of a sudden, I'm worrying about something. She's worrying. I didn't even know it was on my radar screen until she worried about it with me in my head. Always reminded that worry, side screen, it's that rare combination of emotion that's both cripplingly powerful and utterly worthless. Thus the chair. Why the morning hours? Well, God, you get the first part of my day. You made the day. You said I was supposed to rejoice and be glad in it. So you get the first part of my day. Psalms 5 says, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and I wait patiently. Psalms 119 said, I rise early before the sun is up. That's not hard to do now. The sun doesn't come up till later for you people. I cry out for help and I put my hope in your words. You want to read and plan, Pastor? Oh, yeah, I have been for many, many years. Billy Graham gave it to me. I read a psalm. I'm sorry, I read a proverb, one of the Proverbs, 31 of them. You say, well, why the Proverbs? I don't know. Let's see what the Proverbs has to say about why the Proverbs. These are the Proverbs. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined, and I need to live a disciplined life, and a successful life. Well, I, okay, that sounds good to me. I'm reading the Proverbs. Eh, just one. Don't get all crazy about it. Just one. Got to digest it. Just one. One chapter. Or I might read a chapter of the Psalms. Well, why the Psalms? The Psalms are a collection of lyrical poems, many authors. And there's an expression by man to God and about God in the Psalms that I need badly. 
There's people in the Psalms that say, God, I'm mad at you. Are you even listening to me? Do you even know I exist? Am I not your child? How come you're paying more attention to them than you're paying to me? That's some gut-level honesty, isn't it? So the Psalms, I just kind of get in there and relate to that. And then they get all happy again. Oh, you're my God. I love you. I'm sorry. You know, all that stuff. So I need a Psalms. There's sometimes, Father, that I feel like, well, there's a lot on me. There's pressure I didn't know I'd have. There's enemies fighting me on levels I didn't realize even existed. And I feel surrounded sometimes. Here's the little things I want to talk to you about. Father, i got to fix a computer today, and I hate frustration with technical things. So in order that I'm not frustrated with that computer, would you fix that computer? Would you send somebody by who will fix my computer? Or will you please let me throw this computer out the window and get a new computer? Are you talking about stuff like that all the time? Because that wastes my time, and it frustrates me. Well, I feel kind of surrounded Oh, wait a minute, Psalms 32. For you're my hiding place and you protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Psalms 33, let your unfailing love surround us, Lord. For hope is in you alone. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem... (laughs) so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever you go before me and you follow me and you place your hand of blessing on my head well when I sat down in here today father I thought that my problems were surrounding me. But you're surrounding me. This is how I fight my battles. So you, God. You, God, are surrounding me. This is how I fight my battles. So with my look, like I'm surrounded. This is how I find my path. But I'm surrounded by you. This is how I find my path. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded.
I want to apologize to you women and children for the graphic display of this fight scene. I've been teaching and preaching God's Word and doing ministry for 41 years. And I absolutely would not have made it. I would have fallen into some escapism form of behavior that would become a scandal and taken me out. If it were not for that battle scene. Billy Graham said, that right there in the morning is the only thing. that projected his life to the level in which it was. Joyce Meyer said, I get my chair, my Bible, my coffee, and my little dog at my feet on my footstool. And my husband in an entirely different room of the house. And we do not talk and we do not communicate until both of us have had time in that chair I'd like to give you two challenges. By the way, Dr. David Jeremiah, Bill Hybels, and every other significant church and pastor that I know of in the United States today will tell you. That's the secret of their success. I believe you're a blessed people, and I believe you're under demonic attack experiencing satanic attack. And I believe your breakthrough that you need so, so desperately is just by you doing a little thing. You say, Pastor, what would you do if you were me? Tell me your situation. Here's what I'd tell you. Tomorrow morning, I'd go to war. And then I'd get up and I'd go into the day. And here's my challenge. Every day this week, for seven days, go to war. And then come here next Sunday and celebrate the victory that God gave a blessed man for doing a very small, humble thing. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord and confess that you are my savior, that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven with you. 
And God, I ask you this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need additional prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.